from our seven generations that preceded us. We, we, we need to learn. There's a lot to learn. But when we look ahead to the future, the decisions we make about how we treat Mother Earth will affect our future generations. And so it is this way of thinking. It's a, it's a long view. It's about responsibility to leave Mother Earth better off than how we found her. Hello, this is Dr. Guylaine Lefebvre from the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons of Canada. Thanks for tuning in to Specialty Matters, where we explore topics that specialist physicians have identified as important. Today, we're talking with Dr. Sarah Funnell, where we'll discuss why we need to proactively preserve the health of our planet and why it's important to us as medical specialists. We'll end with a few tips on how you can be active in the planetary health space. Thank you for joining us, Sarah. And if you don't mind, I, I will be calling you Sarah throughout this podcast. We've had the privilege of meeting in person. And please call me Guylaine. Well, thank you for having me, Miigwech. Sarah is the founding director of the Centre for Indigenous Health Research and Education at the University of Ottawa. She's an assistant professor in the Department of Family Medicine in Ottawa with a cross-appointment to the School of Epidemiology and Public Health. She's also the Director of Indigenous Health with the Department of Family Medicine at Queen's and is a member of the Indigenous Health Committee at the Royal College. Sarah is a mother of three, and in her spare time, she'll tell us that she talks to plants. I can only imagine story time with that schedule. We're both recording today's episode from Ottawa. Sarah, this is your territory. Would you please speak to that for us? Certainly. Oh, miigwech for, for having me. I think I think we're all aware that Ottawa is located on the traditional and never surrendered and continuously occupied territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabe people. And as an Anishinaabe Kwe myself, I can tell you that our people have lived here since time immemorial. So that means for as long as anyone can remember. Our culture and our presence here has nurtured our land. And non-Indigenous people have benefited from our caring for this land. And we know that while non-Indigenous people have benefited, our Indigenous people, First Nations, Inuit, and Métis people, have experienced genocide and really intensely feel uh, what is referred to as eco anxiety. And the medical term for that is solastalgia. So, I mean, when you look around, you can see that this land is so beautiful. There, there's so much to love about this land, not only like in the Algonquin area, but all over this nation that we call Turtle Island. And it can be incredibly uncomfortable to acknowledge that all that you love about this nation was built on, you know, colonial policies that over time we have seen have impacted Mother Earth in a negative way. And so Indigenous health is planetary health. They're one in the same. And addressing the injustices for Indigenous people is, a, is an act of reconciliation. And so I see that addressing 
planetary health is also one method of reconciliation. Miigwech. Thank you, Sarah. What a wonderful way to actually introduce the fact that as we care for the planet, we reconciliate with values that have been very profound with the earth and with the indigenous keepers of this land. I was recently at the International Congress on Academic Medicine, where there was agreement on the fact that nothing else we do matters more than looking after the planet we live on. I was particularly inspired by a presentation on the concept of one health, basically looking at one health for all that unites the well-being of humans, animals, and plants. And this really should speak to us as physicians who care for human beings, of course. Um, have a listen to some of the concerns that uh, some of the participants brought up while we were at ICAM, just as importantly, the hopes of several of these attendees as they related to climate change, mental anguish, and medicine. Hi, this is Jeff Blackmer, Chief Medical Officer of the Canadian Medical Association and Executive Vice President for Global Health. We have certainly seen that dealing with the impact of climate change can really have a significant impact on mental health. There's a lot of empirical evidence pointing to this as well. We've certainly seen it in the medical profession. Uh, doctors are scientists. They understand the impact and the significance of what's happening with the climate. The good news is that we also know that taking action in this area can actually help improve mental health when it comes to feeling powerless and feeling really you know, stressed in the face of what can be an overwhelming type of catastrophic scenario on the horizon when doctors and others actually start to take action and make contributions towards mitigation, it can actually improve their mental health. So that's the sort of the silver lining to all this. And we at the CMA and lots of other great organizations like the Canadian Association of Physicians for the Environment are working really hard to give doctors a voice in this area. The Royal College is embarking on some excellent work as well and has really brought together a number of the key players. So for physicians who are feeling, you know, stressed, and feeling like they, they can't do anything, you can. And there are organizations here to support you and bring your voice to the table. I'm Justin Hall. I'm from Toronto and I work at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre. Um, and I, I also have lots of patients who also ask us and say, you're just throwing that out now? And so I will, I'll sometimes even ask them, if you want the, you know, the extra bandages or you want the extra things, they're yours. Because otherwise, yes, yeah. I have to throw them out. I cannot actually keep this stuff. That's our hospital policy. Our hospital actually has a, a CEO task force now on sustainable uh, healthcare, and so we are. I think we're joining the conversation. Maybe late, but we're certainly joining the conversation now to be able to actually recycle more at, at a very basic level. We're starting a pilot actually this week on recycling in our staff lounges as a starting point, um, and hopefully building from there in terms of the consumables that we use, and hopefully to decrease the waste. Um, when we talk about having public transit versus having uh, individual cars, for example, to get to healthcare appointments and otherwise, there is, there is a lot of people, or are a lot of people, sorry, who, who do come forward and, and share their experience that it's not just cost anymore, but people are starting to think of, you know, what am I doing to the next generation because I'm choosing to use my individual car by myself, but there literally is a transit route that goes to place A to place B as well. Certainly throughout the pandemic, we've seen a lot of change, I think, uh, heightening of mental health concerns and anxiety in a wide range of areas, one of which I would say is around sustainability. 
Hello, I am Besma Boubertak. I'm from Algeria and I study here in Quebec City. I'm studying molecular medicine. This is a big issue because we all live on this planet. We have to take care of it, so it's, uh, it will be good for us and also the next generations. We, we are anxious about this, especially after the pandemic when I see a mask on the floor. It's, it gives me real pain. So um, I think this can uh, be treated through, through educating the small children about the importance of this so that when they grow, they can be leaders and uh, making decisions towards uh, our planet's health. So let's start this discussion with a quote from the World Health Organization. I used the same quote on a previous podcast episode with uh, Hussein Mulu. Really, it's a call for immediate action. It's uh, in the late 2021, the WHO stated that climate change is the single biggest threat facing humanity. No one is safe from this threat. You know, it's interesting that for many of us, planetary health is actually perceived as a relatively new concept. But for Indigenous people, planetary health is not new. And as you've mentioned, it's not separate from who we are. The big question really is, as medical specialists, what and how can we learn from our Indigenous patients and colleagues regarding the health of our planet and our approach to what we now call planetary health? Yeah, so... Uh, as I mentioned in the introduction, and, and you just uh, reinforced it, that indigenous health and planetary health are one and the same. I mean, when you when you think about it, First Nations people refer to the planet as Mother Earth. So when you think about your mother or mothers, how grateful you are for all for the life they give you. How when your your mother starts to get older, how you care for that mother that mother cares for you, you, you can see that there's this intimate, very precious relationship between a mother and a child. And so, and even acknowledging that this planet is our mother and all the beings on the planet are our relatives, whether they're plants or animals, you can see that there's that interconnection between everything. And I think there's so much to learn from that worldview. And so I'm, I'm speaking to you about a First Nations worldview because I'm First Nations. So not necessarily Métis people or the Inuit, they might see it differently. And so depending on where our listeners are, I encourage you to explore with local Indigenous communities um, different worldviews on this. But I do talk to my plants because I'm so grateful for them to clean my air, provide me food. I think uh, one of the precious learnings that I got through the pandemic and being in lockdown was to appreciate the land around me more. And that's when I began talking to my plants. Maybe it was a product of isolation. I don't know, but I do live with three humans, four humans, two cats and a dog. But I started growing my own plants here in the city, which I recognize as a privilege as well that I could do that. And I think one of the best highlights of that was actually eating food that I'd grown myself. I recognize not everyone can do that. So there's, a, there's an equity issue with that as well. 
Nevertheless, you can see that um, from the indigenous worldview, First Nations worldview, that interconnectedness, which is why, you know, when when an animal is killed, traditionally, uh, there would be a ceremony for that animal. The, the hunters that have um, killed that animal share it with the community. Nothing goes to waste. Every piece is used. And so not only are we one with the with Mother Earth, but we're one with our community. And so when you talk about One Health, it's very relevant to an Indigenous worldview. Thanks so much, Sarah, for sharing this perspective. As a non-Indigenous person, I recognize that I've benefited from the Indigenous people who cared so well from this land before we showed up. I really appreciate that we can continue learning from a perspective that sits so warmly with the concepts that we live on Mother Earth and that all living things are our siblings and relatives. You and I have talked about the concept of the seventh generation principles. So we're, we're really not thinking only of the people who are on Earth with this right now, but the people who will come after us. Can you share some of the key foundations of this principle? Yeah, so um, thinking about seven generations is a First Nations worldview and that to recognize that the choices we make today affect our children and then their children to seven generations from now. We've learned from our seven generations that preceded us. We, we, we need to learn. There's a lot to learn. Um, but when we look ahead to the future, the decisions we make about how we treat Mother Earth will affect our future generations. And so it is this way of thinking. It's a, it's a long view. It's about responsibility to leave Mother Earth better off than how we found her. And I mean, it's a really simple principle. Really, it's just, it's long-term planning. And it's why you see Indigenous people say the Oka crisis or, you know, some of the protests about the pipeline. It's really quite an emotional and passionate cause that people are fighting for because it's really for the future generations, not about making a quick buck today, but thinking into the future and leaving the land better off than we found it. Yeah, I mean, I think I, th- I think the one thing to recognize is that solastalgia, that pain associated with climate change, has been shown to be more deeply felt by those that are more deeply connected to the environment. There are some researchers from Australia that showed the Indigenous people in Australia were more deeply affected, felt more anxiety with the bushfires than non-Indigenous people. So that's one thing to recognize. The other thing to recognize is that you said earlier in your quote that planetary health affects all of us. Which, which is true, almost to the same extent that when we think about COVID-19 as um, originally was coined as the great equalizer, when really it was the great illuminator of inequities. And we see the same thing with climate change and degradation of the planet. 
the first people that are going to suffer or the first people that are suffering more are those that already experience inequities. And all of that's really difficult to, to accept and understand. You know, earlier in um, our conversation, I talked about how it can be very hard to look around and see this beautiful nation that some of us call Canada, some of us call Turtle Island, uh, Mother Earth, so beautiful, yet was built on acts of racism. And so these are difficult concepts. And I know we're trying to get at what can make it less difficult for us to cope. But I think at the same time, we need to we need to lean into those feelings of discomfort and sadness and not push them away, accept them for what they are, and then think about an action plan. And there's so many different resources out there, maybe too many. But, you know, if you think about it really simply and holistically in a person's life, you know, what brings people joy? Uh, we do know that seeing nature and being in nature improves happiness. And so I think just as uh, Indigenous people understand the beauty of nature, if all of us spent more time in nature, we would probably gain more appreciation for it. And also we'd be better off. Uh, so that's like about activity. That's like your body going out into nature, but also the choices we make and in, in how we shop and what we eat. You know, the Lancet put out a few years ago uh, some really important dietary uh, recommendations about um, sustainable diet. So not only what makes us healthy, not a fad diet necessarily, not low carb, not high carb, not this or that, but how we can eat better that will also preserve our planet and or improve planetary health. So those are just a, a few things to, to get started. I'm sure that maybe you even have some some more ideas as well on what physicians can do. Well, you know what resonates in this conversation for me, having spent close to 15 years in an inner city health environment in Toronto at St. Mike's, it's recognizing that inevitably this is this is inequity. When we talk about a healthy diet or a hundred mile diet or or being able to have a place where you can grow your own food, for a lot of people, that is just not accessible. We recognize there's a privilege for many of us and people who are already marginalized or more so in this environment where the climate changes and affects us all, but not to the same degree. Really, we're challenging the status quo and, and I appreciate the concept you bring up of leaning in, not trying to push the discomfort uh, of these thoughts away, but actually leaning into them. There's growing evidence to say that if we find action, it helps with anxiety. If we actually find something that we can do about this, in a sense, being able to get out there and do something that, that we will register as positive to try and do our part in addressing this climate change. As you've said, preserving our planet really is a collective responsibility. Is there a way by which we could assess our own men mental anguish or the mental anguish of our patients in relation to climate-sensitive concerns? Well, I, I don't know the immediate answer to that. I mean, I guess, yes, uh, depending on what type of specialist uh, our physicians are. Certainly, you know, in, in our pre-meeting, remember we were talking about that disastrous fog, that smog fog that came over London 
And that's, that's a really profound example of what poor air quality can do to people. So what can physicians do? You know, there's no end how physicians, specialists can address issues of planetary health with their patients. And so I suppose one important thing would be for physicians to understand within their specialty how planetary health affects their patients. So, you know, respiratory health is really quite an easy example. You know, with climate change, we have poor air quality. With poor air quality, we see more cardiac events, more exacerbations of chronic lung diseases and asthma and those types of things. So that that's relatively easy to, to understand how that, that effect affects people. But I think uh, patient-centered approaches and looking at holistic approaches to your patient can give you a better idea of, of your patient and you can be more um, patient-centric. So understanding what your what your patient does to bring them happiness and joy can help you from a strengths perspective understand what can improve their happiness and wellness. And so understanding how patients are connected to nature, um, water, those types of things, water sports. You know, being surrounded by green trees and nature, it's been shown to decrease blood pressure. I, I've actually... Um, known that uh, physicians will give prescriptions to patients to get outside. Nothing too complicated. A walk in the park, right? This this can actually restore our connection with the land and, and serve us well um, for, for the lack of well-being that we're experiencing right now on some physiologic level, actually. Yeah, one of my one of my colleagues, well, a few of my colleagues at uh, community health center here in Ottawa. You know, we have an inner city here in Ottawa. Um, it's true. They um, are proponents of what is being coined uh, social prescribing. We write any prescription. We do have to assess the patient's ability to access that, whether it's a medication or a lifestyle recommendation or a dietary recommendation that's important to recognize as well, right? Like that not everybody has the same access that we do as physicians. But you're right. Like in terms of, you know, mental wellness, there's um, some reports from the Happiness Institute and they have shown that, that things like being in nature, particularly gratitude, improves happiness, so I think when we're happier, we feel less pain. So I, th- I think those are, those are really important to recognize. With the caveat, you have to understand your patient and, and what, what they have in their toolbox and what they can access. Absolutely. This all makes sense, Sarah. There's a lot we do um, with the Royal College right now that's all coming together as interconnected for sure. We are prioritizing Indigenous health, planetary health, equity, diversity, and inclusion all came through in what you're saying. What stands out for me in our conversation is how we as non-Indigenous people have benefited from the caring of this land by our Indigenous peoples. Thank you for sharing the learning that Mother Earth and all living creatures 
our siblings and that perspective can help in how we think of and address what we do on this land and how taking care of our siblings as a priority will serve us well, not only for our own health, but for the health of generations to come and as physicians for the health of not only ourselves and our families, but our patients as well. Leaning into the discomfort that we feel and finding ways by which we could address it, which may be as simple as getting outside and being part of nature. And I have to admit through COVID, I think many of us were stuck in our homes. And at the end of the day, how privileged we were to be able to go around the neighborhood and get to notice things that perhaps we hadn't taken time to appreciate before. Do you have any final thoughts for us, a, a few words or a call to action or advice for physicians and, and other listeners? Uh, for sure. I mean, we could talk for days and days about how physicians can address planetary health. There's a really simple framework that I, that I love. It's like advocacy at the micro, meso and macro level. And at the micro level, that's at your individual one-to-one patient interaction and, and what you can do there. And, you know, we talked a bit about that already is understanding how uh, planetary health and climate change and these severe weather events can affect the patient population that you see. And as well, how being in nature or appreciating, appreciating nature can mitigate the harms of whatever your patients are experiencing. That's at the I call that the micro level. And then there's at the the macro level, and we talked a little bit about that before too, it's in the Indigenous context is understanding the Indigenous people uh, that you serve or that live in the area where you work and understanding their worldviews about Mother Earth. They'll be different than what I've described probably. So that's the, the macro level or the community level. And that can also look like uh, advocacy for, uh, you know, an improved built environment so people can be actively transport themselves, kids can play in parks, more green spaces. There's lots of other like built environmental uh, interventions that can be done to improve, improve climate change as well. And I believe Teresa Tam, Dr. Teresa Tam, one of her annual reports uh, a few years ago was was about this, the built environment. And so that's really important to recognize. And then we have the macro level, which is where you uh, as a physician, you'll see, you know, like the physicians for the environment, that kind of level where you're really putting pressure on politicians to affect change at a policy level, whether that's uh, tax incentives or disincentives or any sort of policy change at that level, you know, together, all of us as physicians, we're really strong. And I think sometimes we forget that, that our collective voice for change, uh, particularly improving the health of the people that we serve, we have really powerful voices, especially when we're all together. Then finally, to acknowledge, as I said before, that there are, going, there are certain subpopulations that we serve that will be more affected, so in an, in an inequitable way, an unjust way, to either the effects of severe weather events, if that's smog or heat or storms or tornadoes or what, what have you, certain people are more affected by that. And then looking into the future, if we don't act now, all of us together, then again, those people that experience the most inequities 
will certainly face the brunt of climate change first and more harshly. So again, there's no end to, to what we can do, but we do want to break it down into manageable parts. Sarah, thank you again. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you today. And I'll go back to your reference to the fact that all of us collectively taking care of the planet is part of reconciliation and honoring the Indigenous people who have looked after this land since time immemorial. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your wisdom, your experiences and your guidance. And thank you to our listeners for tuning into Specialty Matters. Please share this episode with peers, subscribe, give us a rating and write a review. Write to us at fellowshipaffairs at royalcollege.ca with suggestions or feedback on this podcast. You can also tune into our other podcast for medical students called Café des Spécialités and Specialty Café. Until next time, I'm Guylaine Lefebvre.